and I basically will take my journal notes and just go transcribe them onto the computer. And it gives me just, it just opens up this world of ideas and possibilities that I just don't get staring at a screen. Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of the kick-ass Vanessa Michael Monroe thrillers, and this is the Taylor Stevens Show with my amazing friend Steve Campbell, <laughs> where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. All right, I finally forgive you for that uh, <laughs> kerfluffle a few weeks ago, <laughs> and now I'm going to be nice and not do what I was planning on doing, which was saying, and today we've got a Hack the Craft episode, because we don't have a Hack the Craft episode. No. Because you were working on something else, which is super exciting. So let's talk about the something else and why we don't have a Hack the Craft episode today, but we will have one next week. Okay. So, yes, this was supposed to be our next Hack the Craft episode. As I've talked about for however many shows now, I really am trying to build out this Hack the Craft program. And right now, I am in the throes of what I call word vomit for crafting this next liar's book, which leaves me very, very little time to actually work on other brain strenuous type things. So I had, what I've been doing is making myself this goal where I go, okay, if I can finish my word count by X, Y, Z day, then if I, if I can get ahead, then I can use that extra day for one of these other projects that I'm trying to work on, use a writing day for that. And so that's where the, the Hack the Craft episodes for the podcast go. It's also where if I'm building out a Hack the Craft tutorial, it has to go. And so it's getting close to the end of the month. And I was like, all right, I can either write, finish the chapter 10 of the fulcrum, the next Monroe chapter that I was working on, or I can get this tutorial fin- uh, started and finished because I wanted to talk about ing words, which is, you know, you get this advice going, um, you know, never start a sentence with a garand, never start a sentence with an ing word, don't use ing words. And it's all very confusing because there are a lot of sentences that work beautifully when you start them with an ing word. And so I wanted to hack that where you could say, follow this rule, even if you can't hear if it works, if you just follow this pattern and follow this rule, you will eliminate your ing word problems and you'll know that these sentences are good and these sentences are not. So I'm like, okay, out of the two, writing, finishing the next Monroe chapter, which I know is going to be hard, or doing this ing word tutorial, I could probably get this ing word tutorial finished faster. Oh, so you went with the fun, you went with the fun thing. I went with easy because <laughs> I thought that I could just get it off my list and get it done, right? But I was so wrong. It was not easy. It was, well, jumping forward to the end of the story, now that it's finished, I am probably more proud of that tutorial than just about anything I have ever written or done. The amount of mental energy it took to figure it out and take these really complex complex concepts and break them down in a way that seemed just so oh duh simple but no one's ever taught me these concepts i had to figure them out and i had to figure out these hacks and so anyway this tutorial clocked in at almost an hour it's like 57 minutes and that's just and it moves and it's fast and it's 
I don't think it's boring at all. And it's not grammar heavy. So in, even somebody who has no concept of grammar would like me could still <laughs> totally understand this. And I'm just, I'm really excited about it, but it took so much time. It was like, I think about a hundred hours of time to put that tutorial together. So it's available right now on Patreon. Normally when I, because um, as a way to, to say thank you to my patrons, I normally post those tutorials as I make them at the upper level, but it's been so like the upper pledges, but it's been so long since I've been able to post them in Rose chapter or the more simple things, because I've just been cramming that I put it out there at the, the, the lowest pledge level for anybody who wants it um, until March 15th. And then, then I'll put it back, but like it, grab it while you can. Cause it's, it's like, when you think you guys listen to these podcasts all the time because you're looking for writing advice. And I personally think that that one tutorial has more practical hands on can totally change the, the structure and um, quality of your writing than even some full books that I've read on writing. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a lot of really valuable information. So grab it. Um, yeah. So, I, you know, as soon as I get finished with that, I've, I'm like, okay, fine. It's Friday night. I've got this thing ready to go. And then I'm like, oh my God, we're recording on Monday <laughs> and, and I'm not going to be at my desk. And I've got to do a hack the craft uh, podcast. I don't. I don't even know where to start. So that's why we don't have it. And you, I, I had emailed you last week saying that I was almost finished with something and I was going to send it to you. And you're like, okay, great. I really want to see it. And then like a day later, you said, wait, don't send it because I'm going to have this tutorial up and you need to go through this tutorial before you send it because it's going to make such a difference in your writing. And I'm super excited to go through the tutorial and, and then make whatever changes I need to make before I send it to you so that you don't wrap my knuckles. <laughs> <laughs> but Steve, don't you see all that knuckle wrapping of me going, if I could just teach him how to do this, I wouldn't have to mess with this anymore. That has helped me so much in figuring out these, yes. these concepts. Yes. I'm serving a purpose here for all of humanity, all of the Hello. writing community. <laughs> I, I think you have a bigger purpose than that, but okay. Okay, all right. So anyway, today we have a, a Q&A show. And this is interesting because Taylor sent me the questions, and one of the questions referenced a series of books that I read a long time ago, and I know that Taylor's never read and never heard of because she doesn't read a lot. I, I, am, I am literate. Just She's not widely funny. read in... Um, Older thriller fiction. Let's put and it that just way. A, this is very true. And just to, to backtrack a little, these are questions that were sent in to us from a, a podcast, one of our listeners who is just listening to them super, super fast. It hasn't made it to the end of, well, I don't know, maybe by now he has. But um, I just wanted to say I was really excited to get these questions because I love listener questions. So yay for William. And I was excited to see this, to see this question about these books because I, I don't remember when I read them. It was years ago. I had to go on Amazon to refresh my memory about the series itself. Uh, the series was written by John R. Maxim, and the main character was a guy named Paul Bannerman. And I cannot for the life of me remember – 
what what it was about. I know I have all the books in my bookshelf still, so I'm going to go pull them out and and look at them to refresh my memory, and I may reread some of them. But he had asked Taylor if she'd ever if she'd ever read any of those, and well, Taylor, have you? Well, no. <laughs> I was like, oh, cool. They sound really nice. They sound like it would be a lot of fun. He's, his, his exact question is, I wondered if you've ever read the Bannerman books by John R. Maxim. His main character, Paul Bannerman, is in a similar category to Bourne and Monroe. The author does an interesting thing across several of the books in the series, writing from different character POVs, telling essentially the same story from different character viewpoints. Uh, there were actually points in the books where I could get mixed up and be a bit unsure of which book I was reading. I'm not criticizing his work, just not sure what you think of it. And I wanted to get your take on that. Anyway, I'll give you my take. I love those books. And I, I cannot remember whether I was confused in reading them, but it's, it's one of those things where I think it was three or four books were out when I read the first one, and so I just blazed through the rest of them and then waited for additional books. I think Maybe there are five or six. I looked on Amazon. There are five or six of his books. What, when were they written? I can't remember. The Amazon date is 2011, and I know it was way before that. So they okay. probably were – he got the rights back and published them to Amazon in, right. in 2011 okay. is, is what I'm guessing. But they were, they were great. I, it's some of the storylines starting to come back to me, uh, but I don't, I don't want to talk about it because I probably will get it wrong. But that, <laughs> okay. that leads me to another, and we will get to the actual writing questions. This is basically a whole episode of chit-chat. Um, <laughs> but in the Taylor Stevens fan club group, I got a book recommendation. Well, first, I, I want to take a step back. I was surprised when uh, Carol, who's, who's welcoming new members into the group, um, was saying like, hey, Steve, you, didn't, you haven't talked about what you do. And it's like, oh, geez, I thought everybody knew who I was, but okay, here's what I do. And oh, by the way, I'm reading, I'm obsessed with books on art theft right now. And Perry Lassiter in the group commented under that and said, have you read the Estelle Ryan books on the, the Genevieve Leonard series. And my initial response was, no, I haven't. I've never heard of them before, but if they're about art thefts, I'll check it out. And I went to Amazon and looked. The first book was free, which if, you're, if you have a lot of books in a series and you have the opportunity to make the first book free, um, you'll, you'll learn from, my, <laughs> from what's happening with me here that it's a really good idea. So I read the first book, and I was absolutely captivated by this character. And by, by like a third of the way through the book, I'm like, I want to go see how many more of these books there are. And there are 12, and she's still writing them. And I have not been able to read anything else since I started reading those. It's just I read one, and then I go to the next, and I go to the next. And as ebooks go, these are kind of expensive. They're like $6 books. But I got the first one, and she's got like 75 bucks from me so far, and I'm just working wow. my way through them. Well, that's awesome to get a, a recommendation like that. That's one of the things that's really fun about the Facebook group is that the one thing that is – like we all come from such different walks of life and everything, but the one thing that everyone there has in common is they're a fan of the Monroe stories yes. or me. But a, cer a certain mostly. type of writing that, that – 
You yeah. do, yes. Yeah, so it's a, it's a real fun way to connect with people who have that interest in common, and it leads to these types of situations where, you know, you get a recommendation from somebody who knows exactly what you would like to read. I'm actually reading a book right now. What? I know. Nonfiction, right? Nonfiction. No, it's fiction. It's really? actually fiction. Yeah, um, it was also a recommendation from the Facebook group, and it's just come out as a movie. And I'm always fascinated to read a book and then see how the movie adapts that book because it's never, I mean, so rarely does the movie stay true to the book. Mm -hmm. So I'm reading Red Sparrow right now. Oh, okay. Because the movie looks pretty good. And um, it's one of those things where you can, like, I think it won an Edgar Award, the, the book did. It didn't win it for its writing. Um, but that just goes to show that it's the story that really pulls readers in. Like, hey, we're going to keep the show a little bit about writing and kicking writing in the butt, right? Um, and that is that craft is important, but it's always a mistake to focus so much on your craft that your story loses out. Story is just as important. And so you can have a really, really crappy a story and the most beautiful writing in the world and nobody's going to want to read it. Or you can have just an amazing story and not be the world's best writer. People will so overlook that if the story's good. Or you can have a good story and it can be well written and you can have really bad characters or really uninteresting characters. And That's then it can fall also. flat that way. So you, yeah, you've got to have it all. But, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have to be just pristine writing. That's for darn sure. We've, yeah. we've learned that over the course of the last 135 episodes. All right, should we get to these questions? I think everybody's wondering <laughs> who we're going to get to them. <laughs> All right. These really aren't writing questions. They're more like authory type questions. One of the questions that uh, William asks is what kind of writing tools you use? Writing yes. technology tools, et cetera, et cetera. So, and, and this is just a fantastic question. Uh, um, this has come up a few times in discussions, but we've never actually like full on addressed it. And that is that right now I just write in word, plain word. And the reason for this is I am very uh, tactile. If I could read my own handwriting or if my handwriting could keep up with my brain, uh, I would probably write on paper. I have my best flashes of character insight or story um, structure, whatever, on on paper. And but but I type fast, and it's the only way for me to like cut, paste, move things around and stuff. Um, it, the more complex something gets, the more my brain cannot handle it. And I and I have to say, just for the record, I am severely ADHD. And there are certain strategies, like a lot of a lot of the strategies that I teach on this podcast of how to stay focused, how to not procrastinate. That's all stuff that I've had to figure out how to survive with ADHD. Otherwise, my life turns into absolute sheer chaos. <laughs> and and I, I just want to run away. And I want to do nothing because it's just so overwhelming inside my head. And um, a lot of people think that ADHD is like hyperactivity necessarily with the body, but it doesn't present that way with adults. It presents inside the head. 
your your brain is what's hyperactive and it just it's like a ping pong ball that just won't stop bouncing from side to side so for me to to be able to focus and write i have to cut away the distractions and to have a plain blank screen without anything else no colors no moving stuff around um that is what allows me to do that and as the the story grows it can be really hard to keep track of 100,000 words um i i mentioned that somewhere either on patreon or somewhere and it was uh, feedback i got was well have you ever tried using outlining in word as a way to you know sort of keep it inside you know some format and no, I mean, I've, I've used outlining in Word for like nonfiction type things or, you know, uh, when you do presentations or whatever, but even that is too much distraction for me. So Word, it's all that I use is just basically as close as I can get to just a blank sheet of paper. Um, and then in the same question, William's also asking if, have I ever used one of the distraction-free writing tools like Focuswriter or Q10 and I just have no idea what those are. And I think that if I were to go look for them, I would probably lose a writing day <laughs> <laughs> trying to check them out. So until such a time as it gets to where my my own memory can no longer deal with the the massive amounts of words in a single document, or sometimes I have to split a book into multiple documents just because they have that many characters and to get the character timelines and personalities consistent, um, then I'm just going to stick with this. And I, I do have Scrivener. I've used it. Um, that's how I format and get the eBooks posted to Patreon. When I post um, the advanced reads of the Monroe, next Monroe book, I do it through there. So I have used it. It's not like I'm incapable. It's just it doesn't work for me with my very... Um, kinetic, I guess. I don't know what the word is. Hands-on-y, very tactile way of, of staying engaged with the material. So the other thing that he asks in relation to this question is if I've ever lost access to files or notes or manuscripts or something like that because a proprietary format or a program was discontinued, upgraded, etc. Um, that's happened to me with not writing material which is another reason why I'm a little nervous about um, switching to some other format. It's never happened to me with a manuscript because I am almost OCD paranoid about losing material. Um, and I think that's one of the things, I mean, I know that Scrivener doesn't work for me in terms of um, uh, like the actual writing process, but um, even as a way of backing up stuff, like Scrivener automatically does backups constantly, but I'm like so paranoid about losing my own stuff that I have my own, like a flash drive or I'll even email it to myself every day, sometimes multiple times a day. If this house burned down and I could only choose one thing, it would be my computer, and I'd run out the door with that computer. That's how paranoid I am about losing my material, just because it's so freaking hard for me to write it in the first place. <laughs> I don't want to have to repeat the work. So, you know, it's a whole lot easier to save a single document and run than it is to try and track down where Scrivener is saving its multiple 
doc, you know, directory files or whatever. And so I'm just like, oh, that's, I'm out on that one. So anyway, all of that to say, I really just use Word. I use it for my own personal reasons. It's not like I'm saying everybody should do it this way. For anybody who does not suffer from a hyperactive brain, congratulations. Um, I envy you. And you could probably do just all kinds of amazing things with uh, pegboards and, and all of that. Um, so that's my long answer to a very awesome question. All right. Let me, let me try and give a shorter answer to that very awesome question. And, and one of the things he said later on, something you might find interesting in WriteMonkey, one of the tools that he uses, and I'm, I'm not familiar with WriteMonkey, says it has a plugin available that generates random character names pulling from a large database of real names, both male and female. In one of your podcasts, you mentioned the difficulty of coming up with original names. That would have been me, probably, that, was, that weren't too similar sounding. You just tell it male or female, and it spits out 10 names, first and last, kind of neat. He also that mentioned kind of- yeah, he also mentioned that he'd tried Scrivener and found that it got in the way. And I, I'm a, a Scrivener person. I love, I love writing in Scrivener. Uh, and I know it, a lot of our listeners are too. And so I'm not, I want to make it clear, I am not knocking on Scrivener. I, I get so many people who email me asking me, have you done this? It just changed my life. So, you know, yeah, it, I mean, you it have to be work. able to write in a certain way. I mean, the value, I don't know, it, it could have different values to, to different people. For me, it's just the, the ability to segment things in a way that makes sense in my mind. And Scrivener actually has a name generator. Um, but I have found when I try and use it, it takes me out of the story and out of the writing process. And that's one of the things about technology. It's like the more technology you throw at a creative process, the more it can pull you out of the creative process. And- yeah, and, I, you know, I, again, with my, you know, drawing from ADHD to, you know, focusing on writing and stuff, but one of the things that um, people who have hyperactive brains deal with is engaging, getting engaged with the material. And for someone like me, if I become disengaged from the material, depending on how bad that disengagement could be, it, I could lose between 20 to 30 minutes or two to three hours or my whole writing day can mm-hmm. be shot, which is why I do everything possible to schedule um, things around my writing time and why if somebody calls and expect like a family member and gets offended, like you just never have time for me. I get so frustrated because you don't understand that you calling me in the middle of my work day just destroyed my work day. I cannot engage with this material. So draw, go, taking that concept and going back to what you said about, you know, getting pulled out of the writing process because you're now focused on something else, you engage with something else. That is a real key to figuring out what works for you and what doesn't. And then avoiding the things that, you know, have a tendency to pull you away from actually staying involved in the writing process. You mentioned the desire to write with a pencil. And I have a friend who actually does write with a pencil. His name's Chris Orcutt. He writes the Dakota Stevens mysteries among other things. And I, came across him a long time ago and interviewed him for an old podcast that I no longer do. And we became friends, but he writes the first draft of every manuscript with a pencil. And he's become known for that. And he actually, pencil companies send him pencils. That's awesome. And a friend of his is a movie guy. And he did like a little three or five minute 
uh, bit on writing with a pencil. I can't even imagine doing something like that. But you you would actually enjoy that. I, I my brain engages much better with that, and it's very spotty. Like some of my best writing days are those in which my because I journal. Um, my journaling that day is trying to solve a writing issue. That I, that's what's on my mind the most, and that's what I'm talking to myself through. And I basically will take my journal notes and just go transcribe them onto the computer. And it gives me just it just opens up this world of ideas and possibilities that I just don't get staring at a screen. All right, William. This is not a question. It was sort of an opening comment, but I, I want to get your your thoughts on this because it's something that everyone has gone through. And he, as a way of introducing himself, yes, I am, of course, yet another aspiring writer. Actually, I guess I am already a writer, but I'd like to be an author of an actual book as opposed to the collection of partial stories that I keep starting and, well, you get the idea. Let's talk about that for a minute. Getting over the starting and then restarting and then restarting and then restarting to actually finishing. The only thing I know, the only solution I know is to, okay, obligations really help. If you have a contract, <laughs> obviously that's going to help. You know, you have no choice. You don't, you know, you, you need to pay the bill so, you know, you get it done. But the problem, you know, I, I go through this too, is that you, you want to make it sound good. And you get so hung up on trying to make it sound good that you never actually finish. Um, another another reason that can happen is because sometimes ideas, as they get started, don't actually have enough to carry the story all the way to its end. So it's kind of like me with some of my bazillions of projects that I get started and never finish is because it sounded really, really good in concept. And I can get the the beginning of it started, but once I realize how much freaking work it's going to be to actually bring that thing to completion, all of a sudden I'm really not interested in it anymore. <laughs> and writing can be a lot like that. It, you know, opening, writing that first chapter, writing the, the, the first couple of chapters, it's fun, it's new, it's it's. It, this idea has promise, but the further you get into the weeds of it and you head into this muddle of a book, um, the harder it is to actually see yourself seeing it through because you don't even know if you can. It's hard. The further along you go, the harder and harder it gets. And for that, that's where outlining can really help because you can actually see that there is an end to the story and that you kind of have a direction that you're going with it. And then it's not so much a case of, well, is there, you know, is there even a way to write this story? It's a case of how do I tie these two ends together, the beginning and the end? How do I, you know, get them to connect? And so that becomes more of a puzzle and a challenge than, oh, my God, I have no idea what to do with this, you know? And then when you reach that, oh, my God, I have no idea what to do with this stage, Amazingly enough, there's always a new idea that pops in your head. And it's like, I should just put this aside and start on this new thing because I've learned so much writing half of my 11th (laughs) half book that I'm going to be able to write a whole book now. So you start a new one and then you get halfway through and the same thing happens again. Except for someone like me, I dislike having unfinished things. It's like... You do. It it really... (laughs) It, it weighs on me psychologically. And so for me, 
finishing it almost becomes a compulsion just so I cannot have that anymore. That, that, um, ugh, weighing on me of this open-ended stuff. And it's all the time investment and, and energy. And it would be different possibly if I didn't write to pay the bills because every time I have a, an unfinished project, that is time invested in it that I could have done for something else that people actually want to have, you know? So there's that aspect of it, too. All right. I don't know whether you can hear Wyatt in the background. He's, he's reaching – our grandson Wyatt is 19 months old, and he's, he's, he's at that stage where – there's a lot of sound that comes from him, but there aren't a oh, lot of uh, uh, there aren't a lot of complete words. So it's a little bit like writing half a manuscript and then moving on <laughs> to the next thing. He's a, so we're, sometimes we're all a little bit like Wyatt. Um, one one last question that occurred to me as as you were talking, and and that's that William and and you and I and everybody gets into this, and if. William's working his way through the entire catalog of the Taylor Stevens show, which is 130-some episodes now. And he's heard you talk about being in the – whatever you call it um, – in the soup. You use a, a more colorful word than that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. But it's that it's that time when you just know that this just absolutely sucks and there's no hope. It It can't. It can't be. It can't be salvaged. And I went through that uh, like a week ago. I was just cruising along, editing some things, and it's like, but, you know, this is really rounding into form. I'm really happy with it. And I hit something where it, it, it there was a plot hole that I didn't uncover until I was here. And I'm like, why is this happening? And I it, I just like froze because when you're editing, your mind is working one way. It's Fix this, you know, search mm -hmm. for this, look for ing words, look for when, look for said comma, yeah. go through all this stuff. And then you see a plot hole and you have to engage your brain in a way that you haven't engaged it in weeks. And yeah. it's like, oh, my God, this sucks. The whole the whole the party's over. <laughs> and um, it's what do you do when when well, you when you reach that stage, when you okay. reach that everything sucks stage. So I have never written a book yet that I didn't go through that where I was not there. I've never written a book where I haven't reached a spot where I'm convinced that I do not have what it takes to pull this whole book together because it gets so muddy in the middle. That's why they call it the muddle. And I always go back to the lesson that I learned and, and maybe in some ways this brought me the life experience I needed to know that I could do it. When um, I might have been at the very earliest stages of writing, but, you know, I had, did not, had not finished a book. I was still learning what I was doing. I decided to teach myself statistics. <laughs> and I had a statistics textbook. Because, but I don't know algebra. And I, I'm really bad at math. I... I I'm really bad at math, like the way some people struggle with, um, you know, the most basic thing that you look at them, and you're like, how could you not know how to do that? Everybody knows how to do that. That's math for me to like even add numbers together. I understand the process, but 
I switch them in my head. So I have to add the same numbers together like three times with a calculator to make sure that I get two answers that are the same. And but I wanted to learn how to, I wanted to understand statistics. And I it took me like going through that book twice. And I would I didn't know algebra, but you need to know algebra to, to do the math for statistics. And so I would look at the um, the examples and I didn't understand what any of the symbols meant, but I could work it backwards. If they had this answer to that problem, then I could figure out what the different symbols meant and, and figure out the math. And there were some days when I'd be like, oh, why am I even doing this? But I have this thing about finishing. <laughs> so I just, I learned that even if it's just mud inside my head, if I just keep at it day after day and work it over a little bit each day, eventually I will figure this out. It's just I have to keep going past the stage of where this makes no sense. It might even be spoken. They might as well be reading this to me in Russian. But if I can just consistently keep at it, eventually it starts to make sense. And once I get that little tiny toe hold on it, that fingernail claw, that is my inroad. And it will slowly, I can pry this thing open and, and pull it apart and understand it. And that is what writing a book is like. It is inevitable. I will hit this stage where I go, I can't do this. I have no earthly clue how I'm going to turn this mess into something that not only is legible and, and logical, but that people are actually going to want to read. But there's that, that lesson, that experience there that tells me if you keep at it and you just keep working at it, eventually it will become clear and you will figure it out. And that's what I do. All right. And I think that's a good note to wrap up this episode. William but we didn't answer his question about the Bannerman books. He wanted to know what I thought of that approach, that technique of, of writing different books from different characters, point, the, the different characters' points of view. Okay. All right. Go ahead. So I, we started with that. I've got to finish with that. Obviously, I've not read these books. But I, I think of it as how would I do this from the Monroe series? And I think a book from another character's point of view, even telling the same story from another character's point of view, would be amazing for my fans. Like, they would love that so much. People are hardcore readers of this series, but it might not be the best way to attract new readers to this series. Um, so it's almost more like, um, if, if I was to do something like that, it would almost be like, a fan fiction, self, self-written self fan fiction, I guess, for my readers. <laughs> a new genre, a new sub-sub-sub-sub-genre. Sub-sub-genre, right? Um, but I would be very hesitant to do that as a whole story because I could see how it would upset some people who are not as heavily invested, like, oh, great, I already read this story. Why is she writing it to me again, writing it again? So that would be my opinion on it. And then he asked also about did, what my opinions are on digital rights management. And I know this shows now with all of our la, 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 talking, it's kind of started to get really long. So I have to make this very short. Um, but I think digital rights management is kind of a double-edged sword. Um, I understand why it's done. But like, if you buy a book 
uh, let's say you, you read on Kindle and you buy a book and then you decide that you don't want to use the Kindle platform anymore. If you don't have a way to take that book with you somewhere else or lend that, like, I mean, I know there are workarounds for all, you know, all, but it's not easy for everyone. Um, it, it, you feel robbed. You feel cheated. Like this, you bought this. It should be yours. Instead, it's almost treated like a software license or something where whoever owns the platform controls what you can do. Um, the problem with not having digital rights management, and it's funny because I just had a conversation with somebody about something similar today, has to do with um, how immune we've become as a society of just having things for free. We expect content to be free. And, you know, people will copy music and, and give it to their friends or whatever. And you've got music everywhere that people didn't pay for. And, um, you know, now you see people starting, you know, they, they uh, pirate movies and whatever. And I used to not really care so much about that because I'm like, well, you know, the big studios and, you know, everybody, they've all making their money and, uh, you know, I don't have any money. So I didn't really see anything wrong with it. Not like I was doing it, but I didn't look unkindly on people who did it. But I, I kind of have a different opinion of that now as a creator in that it's not just that I feel like I should be compensated for my work. And that's a whole other different story. It's that if I'm not compensated for the work, nobody is going to publish these books anymore. So it's it's almost like the tragedy of the commons where you can everybody gets what they want up front for free and then bemoans the fact that it's so hard to find good quality books or that, you know, it's so hard for people to good authors to break into publishing and all of this. And it's all true. But we kind of created that environment. If people would be willing to pay for the books that were that kind of quality. And I don't say people as if nobody's doing it. I mean, enough people. And if, if we didn't accept that, you know, content should just be free and we're willing to pay for it, then we would have amazing content because then the people who are creating it could support themselves and the publishers who expect to make money could get contracts for these authors and it would be kind of easier. So I, I get that, you know, everybody has a limited amount of resource you want, if you buy something, you want it to be yours. It, it, it's just that for some reason, those seem to be two mutually exclusive ideas. If everybody had full rights to the digital products that they bought and didn't, there was no DRM, but you knew that they wouldn't go, you know, giving it away for free everywhere else, then we'd have a very happy world, but that's not the world we live in. So I don't really think there's easy answers. I just, I, I think that there's a reason for why, it is, and I don't know what the answer is that would make everybody happy. Okay, so that is it. Speaking of valuable content and content that you don't want to steal but you want to be paying for, um, we mentioned at the beginning of the show that the, the new tutorial that Taylor's put together on Patreon, go and check that out. It's available at even the lowest subscriber levels uh, up until March 15th, so go and yes. check that out, and we will be back with a content-rich Hack the Craft episode next week. <laughs> See you guys next week, Mishmilak. Pressure, pressure. I know, right? <laughs>